Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today, we've got Kyle Malmstrom in the hot seat and he has a guest, a newbie. Matt is with him, but he's not new to Centura. Kyle, why don't you explain who Matt is, what he does, and what you guys are talking about. Thank you, Eric. How are you doing today, by the way? I'm doing fantastic. What's going on with you? Oh, doing great. Uh, wonderful day out here. So we got Matt Griffith with us today. He's a senior wealth advisor here at Centura. CFP has been with us four and a half years. He manages clients. He is super technical and a great resource and uh, clients love him. So I'm happy to have him on here because we got a good con, a good conversation to have today about different things that are happening in the world and the planning that we pivoted to since kind of the world's changed over the last year or so. Sounds Looking good. forward to it, Kyle. Thanks for thanks for having me join. Yeah, super excited to have you on here, Matt. So let's chat. Let's just get right into it, right? So what I want to get to is kind of some of the ideas that we've pivoted to, Matt, with regards to changes in the economic environment, political environment, tax environment, all of those things. But let's set the stage in terms of the things that we think about and that we're monitoring and why we think about them. So let's just get into that. So what's changed in the last six, eight, nine, 10, 12 months? Yeah, a lot going on, right? We've we've had uh, an interest rate environment that's changed dramatically. You know, we've, we've, we're coming off the lows of z- really 0% interest rates and 500 basis point increase in the last six months, basically. That's a that's a big move there. Kind of the a few of the results recently we've seen, we've seen a little bit of stress in the banking system. Some regional banks taking some hits, some, some failures, some some bank failures. So keeping a pulse on that along with uh, some potential future tax legislation, just monitoring those things. Yeah, I would touch upon, you know, SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank, it, it went down, right? And that was just uh, really a mismatch of short-term li- short-term liabilities and long-term assets. And they got caught in this interest rate move. And so you got to be cautious on those things. But why'd they move the rates 500 basis points, Matt? Like, yeah, I mean the the Fed's moved quickly, right? They're they're trying to tamp down inflation. We've we were seeing prints of inflation eight nine percent last year. You know, fortunately, it's it's started to come down. You know, most recent prints in the five percent range still still above their mandate. The Fed's got a mandate of a two percent target of inflation. Uh, we're still above that, so they're they're tightening. They they want to tighten to slow things down and and combat inflation. Well, it sure feels like inflation if you go to the grocery store or go buy gas or pay your bills for sure. And then with regards to the the economic outlook right here, if you catch any wind of any headline news, it's like, hey, this pending recession's coming. A lot of a lot of talk around that, right? We we've seen well, we currently have an inverted yield curve, has been since last July, it's kind of stayed there since last July. And that's been a predictor of prior recessions. And uh, yeah, so a lot of economic forecasts are saying, hey, potential recession later this year, you know, maybe first of next year. You can't set your watch by it just because, hey, this inverted yield curve happens, but historically it's been a predictor. Maybe an area to touch in on, um, you know, with the higher rates and some of the bank struggles, uh, uh, something we're keeping our eye on of uh, commercial lending, right? Yeah, right now they're predicting there's a, about a $1 trillion worth of commercial property debt that needs to be restructured, i.e. refinanced before the end of 2025. 
And what that means is all these people that went out and bought office space or industrial space or retail space, something like that, they're going to have to refinance what they had on a five-year note or a seven-year note or whatever term they had. They got to refinance that at these higher rates. And that's going to have an impact on that market. And we have some good connections in commercial real estate. And they they will tell you, hey, if you're on cash and you're looking to buy real estate, it's probably a pretty good opportunistic standpoint. If you're one of those people that had those low rate and you maxed out your leverage, probably going to be a little rough. But that's going to transpire into kind of some pressure on those small banks and regional banks, which typically loan made those loans. So there's a little bit of an undetermined future in terms of what's going to happen in the regional bank and the commercial space. So it could add some stress here that we're keeping an eye on. Yeah, a little, little sit up there, a little context around the economic environment. Let's talk a little bit about the tax environment as well. So post-COVID, right, we had a lot of a lot of money being put out there for, I think, the right reasons. But uh, now you could say, hey, we're we're starting to pay the bill a little bit of, of that surplus money being put out there in, in the form of inflation. Uh, now you're starting to see whether it's federal government or even state governments be a little bit revenue starved. And so we start to see some of the talk around raising raising revenue, which often results in higher tax rates. You know, what what are you starting to see on the landscape of either federal government or even state governments? Yeah, it's a pretty common question and a common conversation we have around here is like, hey, tax rates are headed higher. Matt and I were chatting about this before the podcast, right? You got to have both sides of the aisle kind of agree on it. Right now, the Biden administration put out their proposal. They have various items in there to raise taxes and raise revenue for the government. You know, where they get it done this year, I don't know. One could argue it might not be till the end of the election year next year and when they finally get the the two houses figured out or the house and the Senate figured out and, and which party controls what they might get something done then. But the prevailing rate is, Hey, we do have $31 trillion in counting every, you know, right now in debt, California is at a, at a budget um, deficit of 30 trillion or $30 billion. I think this year, even though they projected like a hundred billion dollars surplus last year, they that didn't come to fruition. So these, so the entities, the state entities, the state governments, and the federal government need money. And so Biden came out. What what did he publish, Matt? He's- yeah, let's let's dig into that a little bit. And uh, and yeah, you mentioned the the U.S. debt, and unfortunately, we'll probably have to all live through the the debt ceiling fight that's impending here coming up. The, you know, targeted probably June, July of this year, and um, you know, we'll have to live through that, of course. If, uh, but. Uh, March 6, 184 pages from the Office of Management and Budget issued. This this essentially reflects the president's priorities. Now, keep in mind, this is not law. This is, you know, their viewpoint of, of hey, this, this is for the, the fiscal year, 23-24 fiscal year. And what they would like to see done, of course, there, there has to be proposals from uh, Congress as well that, that come through, and then they come to an agreement on a budget. But, but yeah, let's dig in uh, on some of the things that show up either from a corporate standpoint or, or individual tax standpoint. What, what did you see there, Kyle? Sure. First off, they're going to want to make the corporate tax rate 28 over 21%, the current rate. So for C-corporation C-corpor- owners, right, that's 7% right off the bottom line that's going to go to taxes. So that's less money to put back into your business and hire people. So that'll have an impact there. That's probably the first thing. They also talked about raising the marginal tax rate back from 37 to 39.6 and they're going to lower the bracket 
uh, to four hundred thousand dollars for single and four fifty for married filing jointly. I'm going to put a caveat in here. They don't always necessarily have to change the tax rate to change the taxes. They change all the schedules. They change the numbers behind the scenes to increase the taxes. But then on the front, politically speaking, they get to advertise, hey, we didn't change the tax rates. Well, you did, but you just buried it far enough in the tax return. No one, you know, most people aren't going to look at that. So you got to be you got to be careful of those details because those details are what impact you. Right. And that's why we have relationships with CPAs and things like that. What else we got, Matt? Yeah. You know, another one uh, <clears throat> from a capital gain standpoint, they they want to raise the capital gains tax rate on incomes greater than a million. Uh, they want to bump that up to essentially ordinary income rates, uh, 39.6. That's that's what's it at now? Well, it currently starts at 15 percent for capital gains. It bumps up to 20 percent once you're over a certain income threshold today. Um, so you know, it's th- almost it's a hundred percent increase. Yeah. Well, and and this is a repeat. So, you know, some of these themes, you know, we, we saw this in the Build Back Better proposal, again, didn't get passed. Um, but but these are sort of re- partly why we bring these up. These are recurring themes, right? Of, of uh, you know, you just kind of keep seeing these uh, these types of of increases. In California, at 39.6, plus if you're making over a million dollars to be in that situation, now you're at a 13% California bracket. So now you're at 53%, and then you have net investment income tax, which ties into what we're talking about. Right now, it's 3.8%. So that would have put you at 57%. But guess what? They want to change the net investment income tax from 38 to 5%. So now you'd be at 58%. Ouch. Climbing the brackets there, climbing the climbing the rate. And again, look, these aren't laws as this would have to be agreed upon by both U.S. House of Representatives, Senate and the White House. Likely, like you said, Kyle, not not passing anytime soon when you have the the split Congress currently. But again, just themes here that that you know we're looking at what what in your opinion, like what why do we need to keep our pulse on this? You know what? Why is this important for us to keep a pulse on it? It's all about the bottom dollar, right? I mean, it's about saving as much money from the government as you can. And so the more money you save, the more money you have in your pocket, the more things you can do with it and and direct that money to where you want it to go. There's so much change. There's so much nuance. There's so many details to all of this stuff that it's, you just, you got to be full time on it, frankly. And you got to have relationships with people in their in their disciplines that are full time on it, and you got to talk and you got to meet, and it makes a big impact. For instance, in Washington, they passed an excise tax, which is really a capital gains tax of seven percent. Well, in the state of Washington, there is no income tax, state income tax. So now they've employed basically their first income tax, which is a seven percent tax on capital gains. For anything over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, there's some exclusions for cattle and commercial fishery and small businesses of ten million dollars revenue and less. But hey, if you if you're an executive working at Microsoft and you got large gains in your Microsoft stock and you want to make a big liquidation, oh, guess what? Now there's a seven percent tax that you didn't have, and that you know their Supreme Court just just ruled on that last month. A big surprise, right? I mean, for those that don't follow all the states, but you know, Washington, known as a no income tax state, 
course, this, like you said, kind of slid by as an excise tax. But you know, I think this is an example. Hey, what? Why do we keep our finger on the pulse of you know what potential things might be happening out there? It's things like this. You know, all, all of a sudden you look up and it's like, wow, okay. Living in Washington, you're not accustomed to an income tax. Now you've got a gain and and potentially subject to a tax there in, in if you're a resident of the state of Washington. So there's one piece there that I think is noteworthy. So sometimes when states enact new legislation and new taxes like that, they don't there's some bugs in the system, right? And so right now there's a little bit of argument, hey, does this how does this work in some fronts? But one of the things that stands out is, hey, there is no cash capital carry forward loss on the state standpoint with regards to a capital gain. So let's say you had a million dollar loss. On the federal side, you could carry that forward indefinitely to match against future gains. On the state side, if you have a million dollar loss, it doesn't carry forward. And then next year, if you had a million dollar gain, they wouldn't offset and you'd pay the 7% on the on the million dollar gain. Do they fix that? I don't know, probably. But as of right now, the interpretation is that's how it would work. So those are the things, you know, that's a planning opportunity. They're like, Hey, if you had a big loss this year, you might want to take some gains because that that, gain, that loss isn't going to match up next year. So you got to be mindful of those things, and you got to you got to be proactive. Yeah, let's let's jump into a little bit. So that's that's the context, right? That's we we laid out the economic context, higher interest rates, inflation. Uh, you have some potential tax legislation on the horizon. All this is a backdrop. So what what does this mean? Let's let's talk about the profile of a of a business owner. What what are you doing today to help business owners with this both economic and tax backdrop? Yeah, so we spend a lot of time working with business owners, and I would say, yeah, we we have pivoted quite a bit on some of the strategies over the last six months, just due to all the things we just talked about. One thing that hasn't changed with business owners. And I just want to emphasize it to everybody is that on the business exit where uh, there's this big realization of a big liquidity event, which is typically when the most taxes do, maybe there's a roll up, but typically there's a big tax due. What I can tell you from having, you know, we have lots of relationships with M&A attorneys, with investment bankers, uh, CPAs. We have all these relationships and the, and the prevailing, and we ask this question all the time, the prevailing answer is, Hey, what percentage of business sales transpire kind of on an unsolicited offer? In other words, hey, business owners not thinking about selling and they get a random call from XYZ private equity fund or a strategic acquisition from some fund or whatever it is. And, you know, they really weren't thinking about selling. And then, oh, by the way, the offer looks so good. And I've, you know, I've put 20, 25 years of my life in this thing. And this might be my chance. And 50% of the sales that go out there go with a letter of intent. And then they call up their CPA, their M&A attorney, and they're like, hey, I got this offer. I think I'm going to take it. What tax planning can I do? Well, you're a little late to the game in that regard. There's some things you can do, but it is much, much better to do the planning a year in advance. And so even if you're not thinking about selling, I would encourage you to find the relationships to get prepared in case that day comes when you get an unsolicited call and private equity firms are on the hunt for businesses that generate cash flow. And I know that they have big call centers that'll make outbound calls, 40, 50, 60, 100,000 calls a year, just trying to identify businesses. 
And you may be one of those people, one of the recipient, one of those calls. And next thing you know, you're, you got a letter, which kudos to you. I mean, that's awesome that you're going to get out, but you may wish you had spent a little time up front. So just for what, you know, we call that the gold period. Anytime before that letter of intent, you got all the planning options. Make sure you talk to your professionals ahead of time. Even if you're not thinking about it, like, hey, what do I need to do? Can you coach me up so I can spend some time? Because, it, you know, even if you got the information, it takes months to kind of fix the books and just do the things that you need to do anyway. So you've been working at it for 25 years. Why wouldn't you spend a couple of months getting it dialed in, even if it's a year or two ahead of time? I think you get a much better result. So I just want to throw that out there. From a business standpoint, um, you know, there's so there's quite a few things we can do uh, if you get ahead of it, Matt, in terms of the tax planning, like, hey, you know, in California, there's 13% income tax. What are the ways you can mitigate that, depending on how you think you may structure your sale? There's some opportunities there we could mitigate the state income tax. You you want to know, you know, everyone's situation is going to be pretty unique in the, in the confluence of factors in your life that result in the optimal situation is going to be specific to you. So what we're talking about here, these ideas are ideas that might apply to you, but it's probably in some combination of everything that's in your life. So just take that for what that's worth. Like you got to put it all together. The, the puzzle is specific to you. How important is it to develop your team of professionals? You know, I mean, certainly we're involved here at, at Centura in the planning process but it takes a team, right? Team of professionals. And how important is that? If you want the best outcome, it takes a team for sure. I think it's super critical. I think it's super important. I can tell you I'm a very resourceful, diligent, some would say cynical type of guy. And I would do my research and I would interview a lot of people so that I know exactly what I'm getting from who and I'm getting the value. And like, I, I can appreciate that from all the business owners out there because you guys are probably all just like that, right? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna make good decisions and you're gonna make well-researched decisions. My I think you can speed that process up by having uh people with the right networks, Matt. If you get introduced to the right people and you know, you get introduced to several of the MA attorney firms that are big in that space, and you get an opportunity to go interview three or four of the best of the best, man, you're going to, your, your learning curve will go up so fast because you're talking to the right person and they're going to ask you the right questions and you're going to kind of pick it to choose from the best ones. And then you're so much farther ahead. If you, in my opinion, if you tried to do it on your own, it would take, it, it could, it, I mean, you, you may end up finding one right out of the gate you like, but did you get the opportunity to really compare and contrast against other guys? Did you really get the best deal or are you just settling on, Hey, I don't want to spend a lot of time doing this, right? How about for the, you You talked a little bit about what might be a more mature business and exiting, going to market and exiting. How about how about for some of the earlier startup folks that um, may be considering or just know, hey, I've, I've got a home run here. I just need to get an entity set up. It, you know, is it worth spending some time up front on the entity setup? Absolutely. I did a podcast with Chuck Levin, uh, I don't know, five or six, seven podcasts ago. You might want to check that one out. Episode 70 for those. Uh, oh, you got that one on hand. Nice work, Matt. So the, um, look, sometimes you run into people and they just go to LegalZoom. I would highly recommend not doing that. I know it's a cheap version. I know it's a quick version, but then you end up doing a lot of cleanup work afterwards. And it's more expensive. It's harder. 
and you'll be like, oh, I wish I'd have talked to you beforehand. So let's say, and I'm, let's talk about somebody that's got a business that they think can really grow. I'm talking about a growth-minded individual, a high performer here that says, hey, this business, I got an idea. It's going to be worth 10, 20, 30, 40 million bucks. If I do this right, it's going to be a big number. Well, that big number is going to be associated with a big tax number. And so you want to get it right. So first thing like, hey, qualified small business stock. Hey, if you're going to set it up, set it up as a C-Corp, you'd get $10 million exemption or 10X your basis. So if you started with a C-Corp, you owned it five years, and then you sold it, you get a $10 million exemption on the sale. Section 1202, also yeah, a, a prior yeah. podcast, episode 67, for those yeah. who want to tune into that. Yeah. And um, if you're really savvy and you got deep pockets and business owners that are serial entrepreneurs will will do multiple businesses throughout their lifetime. Another way to go about that, if you really think the end goal is 50 to $100 million, would not be to set it up as a C-Corp. You could set it up as an LLC, let the revenues grow, get to five, 10 million bucks, and then convert it, pay the tax on that number into a C-Corp. And when you do that conversion, now your basis, let's say, is 5 million or 10 million. Your exemption, if you hold it for five years on a QSBS standpoint, is 10x that basis. So it could be 50 or 100 million. But you got to be willing to pay the tax. That's kind of the caveat. You got to have some deep pockets there, but there's people that do that. And that's a very sophisticated way to do it. But that takes forethought. That takes planning. That doesn't, you don't, in general, you don't accidentally have that happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lots of, lot to do for business owners. Um, let's just, let's keep moving down the list here. Um, you know, executives and hitting, you know, those are maybe high income executives. Actually, I'll, I'll jump in real quick just to, you know, again, with this backdrop changing environment, I mean, we've historically, uh, some of the structures we've talked about on this very podcast and, and helping executives, one was a charitable annuity trust. You know, obviously the interest rate environment changes. Now we're a higher interest rate environment. There's some question, well, do they still work? It gets more challenging. The break-evens get higher. But again, it, I think it's situation-specific. You know, you might still be able to jump in and uh, using that CLAT to mitigate on the income tax side. There can be some wealth transfer benefits. You know, this, this is where we get into our planning process and really dive in and say, hey, is, is this something that could still work? More challenging in a higher rate environment, but, you know, potentially something to still look at. Definitely worth looking at. It's not... To your point, the break-even gets a little bit higher, but one, if you're charitably inclined, then it definitely probably makes sense. It probably makes sense if you have a big one-time liquidity event where you know, you're really pushing up and you're definitely well into those highest brackets and you have a big income number and you need a big deduction for this year, but you give money every year. It could definitely work for you. Uh, if you're If you're just aggressive and you say, hey, you know what, I'm in a, I'm in a biotech uh, I believe in biotech. I believe I'm, you know, in biotech, you're like one one day away from a news announcement and your stock quad, you know, quadruples in stock price. If you're one of those people, this could work for you because you got a high growth asset and it would destroy, you know, it would crush the break even because you'd have multiples of, of growth in one shot. But it's a, probably a little bit more on, um, it's got to be geared for the right person. Let's just put it that way. It's there. It's totally situation. Yeah, and you get a you get into a little bit of that, you know, concentrated wealth, concentrated stock, and just some of the planning, the the risk management that goes around that. Like you're saying, you can build a lot of wealth, 
and that concentration, and that's one side of it, and do very, very well. You have to do some planning around, okay, what is the the ultimate exit strategy there? There's a risk management side on the other end of, okay, what if what if the stock doesn't do that well? And if a lot of your wealth is concentrated there, then you know, how are you going mit- to potentially mitigate that that downside risk? Yeah, the C-suites that have these big comp plans with stock options and RSUs, a lot of planning to be done. And, and you're right, right? Hey, if you want to shoot for the moon and keep that concentration, your, your play is probably just right for you. You know, uh, if you're a little nervous about this economic situation and you're nervous about all the things we just talked about and you're like, hey, I, I, I want to get out of some of this concentration because I I don't really need $100 million. I'm good where I'm at. Then, hey, what are the things that you can do? Well, we we work with clients all day long on those ideas. It does get kind of specific to your situation and how you go about it, but there's options there. One thing I do want to talk about, though, uh, as well is like, hey, what if I'm in a, a like, let's face it, on a, on a publicly traded a company, on an RSU, you get vested, you could go sell it, you got the ordinary income on the vesting, but you don't pay anything on the gain, and you divest, right? But what if it's not public? What if it's um, a private company that you got a bunch of RSUs on, and you got a bunch of options, and you got this big concentrated position in this company that's not private, and you don't have a way to get out? right? But you need liquidity for whatever reason. You should talk to us because there's some programs out there that you could get loans against future IPO. I mean, there's, it's a pretty situational situation, but if it's pretty, you know, if they're going to go IPO and there's going to be an exit, there's, there's programs out there that you can get access to liquidity ahead of time to divest from your concentration, maybe create liquidity for another opportunity, whatever it is, there's ways around the non-public side as well. How about the inverse of the CLAT, or what might be seen as a little bit of an inverse of CLAT, the Charitable Remainder Unit Trust, a CRUT, uh, throwing out lots of acronyms today, but is that maybe more, could be something appealing in this environment? Seeing a lot more activity in the CRT space, for sure, Matt. And one, you can get a good deduction, one, you, you know, you can get a big lifetime income, you can... The idea behind a CRT is you put an appreciated asset out into a trust and you sell it, the trust doesn't pay the tax, and then it pays you an income stream and you pay the gain over a long period of time, kind of like an installment note. But at the end of the day, the money goes to a charity. Pretty useful topic, uh, pretty useful strategy. There's five different ways to do it. There's ways to create the income and manage the income. There's some real specific nuance to it where we can coach you through all of that. But super helpful. We're definitely seeing an increase in that strategy. So we've hit on business owners. We've talked about highly compensated executives. Maybe one third leg here, just again, with that backdrop of higher interest rates, tax legislation, folks that have what would be considered a large estate, you know, in today's federal estate exemption level, $12.9 million per individual. You know, so let's just round off for for married couples. You know, your twenty five million plus dollar estate. Uh, that's where the exemption levels are set today. However, the twenty seventeen Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has that expiring, sunsetting January first of twenty twenty six. Our best guess is it it gets cut in half down to about six million each, so a total of twelve million. So you you, you kind of have this range where folks in that 
let's call it 10 million plus or 12 million plus dollar estate are okay today, but Jan, Jan 1 of 2026 are not uh, in terms of they would be subject to estate tax at that point if, if nothing's changed between now and then. With this higher interest rate environment, I, I what type of planning is, is available uh, today? The easy thing is to say, hey, I'm going to wait and see what happens. Right. That's, I mean, that's pretty common. Like, well, you know, maybe they don't change it and maybe it doesn't set that sunset or, you know, they, I mean, and to the point that they have only, they have only lowered the estate tax exemption one time in history. That being said, Trump made it really, really high. Biden and Bernie Sanders both ran on three and three and a half million. So there's a lot of political pressure to pull it down. I think it's easy for them to let it expire and have it come down. But here's the risk of you not doing the planning, uh, particularly you know if your needs are met, right? The, the Mavlov's hierarchy, you got to get your needs met first to make sure you have all your income. But if you're willing to do the estate tax planning, you better do it before uh, the last six months of 2025 because everyone's going to be doing it. And you're not going to get valuation companies. You're not going to get the estate planning attorneys. You're going you're gonna to have a hard time finding professionals to do it, frankly, or you're going to pay an arm and a leg. Uh, so you have an opportunity here now to do it. So with regards to strategies, though, Matt, it, it, one of the things that we didn't talk about this at the beginning, but one of the things that's on the uh, that's kind of a reoccurring theme of tax legislative changes would be the elimination of a grantor trust. And a grantor trust uh, is a trust where you get to put assets out into this trust that grows. The growth of the assets grow outside of your estate, but the tax implications flow back to you. It is a standard in the estate planning arena. I kind of struggle, frankly, to think that they could get rid of it. However, they have brought it up and they put it in several times. I think there could be a run and people just set those up just so they're so that they have one. Um, so you might consider grantor trusts of some nature. You there's discounting. With the increase in rates, discounting becomes a better, a more effective use. So one of the things that comes up is a qualified personal residence trust. And that is a trust that you get, you you use your house. You have to, it has to be your primary residence. You put it out in this trust, you get to use it for five, 10, 15 years. And then you get a discount on the value because of the time frame. And the higher the interest rate, the bigger the discount, the more effective that strategy is. That could be something that could work. And then you can combine it with, uh, hey, if you're married finally jointly, you do two, one for each spouse, and then you get two discounts and you mitigate the longevity. Like it's pretty complicated, but it combines with everything, right? I mean, if you're charitably inclined, it, it, there's just dozens of strategies out there that can work for you. And it's probably a combination of a couple of them is my guess. How, how do you go about, or or I guess, I think this is a place to talk about as a firm, you know, there's all these strategies. How do we get those into, okay, narrow it down to here's a few, or maybe work in conjunction with each other. Maybe talk a little bit about our liberated wealth process and and just how we do that deep dive. And, and, you know, you've got all these acronyms of these fancy yeah. strategies, but <laughs> they're fancy. They're very fancy, Matt. very fancy strategies. Hey, look at the beginning of when we meet somebody, we do what we call the uncover phase. And that's a deep dive into everything you got going on from your family to digging through all the tax returns personally on the corporate side, 
digging into the estate planning documents, running projections on what the income is going to look like, running projections on what the estate's going to look like, getting a baseline as of to like, hey, if you didn't do anything, what does it look like? And then you can model it, you know, and then you start to go in, you go from uncover into unlock. And then that's when we start to banter around different ideas based on the facts that we see. And so, hey, someone has a piece of real estate they're going to sell. It's got a bunch of gains in it and a bunch of depreciation. Okay, well, maybe there's a 1031 opportunity there. Oh, hey, I don't want a 1031 because I don't want to manage another piece of rental property. Maybe we find a sponsor for you. Oh, maybe that passive loss goes against some. Like there's just so many different combinations of things that can happen. So we just dig in and then we ask a lot of questions and we get to know you and say, Hey, Hey, is this important to you? What, you know, Hey, rank these things. What are the sacred cows in your life that you don't want to touch? Are there nostalgic things that, you know, are there emotional? Is there, is there a family member that needs special considerations? Is there a family member that could be litigious is there, you know, I mean, the, all these factors kind of come into how you, you formulate the plan. So we go into this unlock phase where we, we basically figure out the top five or seven strategies that might work for you. And then we bring them back to you and we say, Hey, look, these are the five or seven things. Here's basically how they work. Here's kind of the pros and cons of them. Uh, we ranked them this way based on your situation on a monetary savings from a tax perspective or whatever it is. And you're going to say, yeah, let's, you know, let's try to take down, let's really look at three of these this year, four of these this year. And then we go into the design phase where we, we pull in estate planning attorneys and M&A attorneys and international tax attorneys or CPAs, uh, all the specialty people, the, the, the valuation people, and we start to design it up so that we can get down to the real numbers and the real design of it. Some important keys I think you hit upon there and, and reflecting back, we talked about the business owner that might get that call out of the blue uh, and and decide to, hey, you know what? I like the sound of this. I'm going to exit. I'm going to sell my business. First step of creating that baseline plan, right? That gives them a baseline of saying, okay, here's what this would look like. What is that net dollar amount? I'm walking yep. away of doing nothing. I walk away. Is that enough to meet yep. all of my needs, my family's needs? Maybe if I do have some community charitable wishes, whatever it is, starting there, I think that's a key point. And then once you start to layer in some of these strategies, does it does it help hinder, hurt the bottom line? You know that that's the idea, and that's you know layering those strategies in and should provide a better outcome. But that's that's just part of the process. Like we don't want to take on an engagement if we can't get like ten x. Like we should be able to create real value if we're just incrementally saving you like 10, 20 grand. Like what's the point? Right. I mean, seriously, it's a lot of time and effort to do these things. So we want to make real meaningful differences in people's lives that move the needle. And and we're good at assessing whether or not those opportunities exist. And hey, if they're not, if they don't, uh, which usually they do to some degree, we'll say, hey, look, this is we'll point you in the right direction. You can do these things. And if not, hey, this is how the, we're going to work together. Here's what the scope of the engagement would look like. And here's what you can expect. And here's what our deliverables are. And here's our process. And you'll be totally up to speed on how it's all going to work. So before we wrap this up, let's hit it because we laid the backdrop, economic tax. And uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on the investment 
solution side today. And, you know, especially with the way we let things off with, Hey, we've had some, some banks failing, we've had higher interest rates based on this environment. And, you know, whether it's a business owner exiting, you know, someone that has just an influx of cash, maybe it's an executive that's evaluating their concentrated portfolio and wanting to hedge some of the risk there. Let's talk a little bit about what opportunities we're seeing today. And, you know, again, with this idea that, hey, maybe I, you know, we're eyeballing a potential recession, whether it happens, whether it doesn't, we don't know exactly. But if if I'm in that camp and Hey, I th- I see things slowing down. I think I see things tightening. W- where am I going on the investment landscape? Well, there's two camps. One would be somebody that just had a big inflow of money. Somebody that just got a big inflow of money. Personally, I wouldn't go stick it all in the equity market just because the equity market has some tail risk in it. So, what's most important. And, 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 you know, that's kind of specific. I don't want to knock anybody out of that. But most importantly, is like, hey, coming up with a deployment plan of what you're going to do. How are you going to put money to work? If you got a liquidity event from a business sale, $20, $30 million in cash, you can use a combination of treasuries and private credit and private equity and, and some equities. And, and there's lots of different things you can do. But it's like, hey, how do I deploy over a two, three, four, five-year period where I get different vintages of, private real estate and equities and a kind of dollar cost average into a, into a bigger plan versus like, Hey, I got the money and let's just go throw it all in like that just seems ripe for issues to me. I mean, if the market turns around and goes, then great, you know, but you got a lot of money You see, and it's been in money. It's been in a business that you owned and ran your whole time, your whole life, uh, or for some period of time, it year could, you I just wouldn't necessarily go throw it all in the equity market. I just don't have. Uh, There's a scenario where it works, right? A scenario where, hey, from we we the no recession happens, we bounce, we get a bounce, and there's a scenario there. But there's some scenarios that that where it doesn't, the outcome is not favorable, right? And hey, markets continue to be volatile. You know, you you have a a major equity portfolio, and and you know we have some short term you know short term volatility, we'll call it, and and that's a tough, that's a bumpy ride. Well, so. yeah, and let's face it, you take somebody that's a business owner who's had all their money in their business and probably had a 401k and had pretty minimal uh, stock and equity exposure in their life relative to their net worth. And then if you, you had that big liquidity event and you put it in the market and the market drops 40%, you're not going to be real happy. It's not even just, I don't care how many conversations we have about volatility. You're not going to, I don't think you're going to be happy. I don't even want to have that conversation with you, which is why I wouldn't do it. Cause like, because markets get kind of goofy at the wrong time. Look, does it change your life if you miss out on the next 20% run in the equity markets? If it does, well, that's a little bit different, but I, I'm going to wager a bet that it doesn't. What probably does impact your life is if you lose 20 or 30% in the equity markets, that probably changes your life. So it's just conversations about what's really important to you. Right? It's, it's framing what what's important to you. Our Our philosophy is we want to provide superior risk-adjusted after-tax returns. And the good news in today's environment, we we can move lower on the risk spectrum and actually receive some yield. You know, starting just with, we talked earlier, if treasuries are really interest, short-term interest rates moving up, you know, you get a look, you know, more out of treasuries than what we have in the last probably 10 years of, of a zero interest rate environment. 
Uh, so that's a starting point, but then you kind of move along the spectrum even further. And in some cases, getting up double digit type of, of yield in, in certain, you know, when you get on the private alternative side and, in you know, it's, it, I'd, I'd frame it as, Hey, it's a, it's a great time to be a lender because now the, yeah. those lenders and private credit, and you can see some real yield there. So I, again, it has to be addressed from a portfolio standpoint, but I think there's that, that whole backdrop. And the reason we want to talk about it is, Hey, this is, this has changed a lot from just six months ago. It has, um, man, I think we're running out of time here. We got a pretty long podcast. I agree with, Hey, there's lots of options out there on the investment front. To be honest with you, on the treasury side, just last thing, it's been kind of nice being able to use treasuries as a short-term parking spot. We haven't been able to do that in a long, long time. So 5%, people are pretty happy with that on a deployment plan. Look, if your situation, we hit upon a lot of things here. And if any of these situations sound like you, we're here to help and we're happy to help. And, and we will spend some time with you and analyze your situation and have real conversations about what's important to you. And come back with some ideas and say, hey, does this does this fit the bill? That's what's important. And then it's, you know, it's, the plans are going to change over time and there's always dynamics. And I think having the right team in place is important for those types of people. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good summary. And uh, look, to close it out here, for those that lasted this long, Kyle, your <laughs> and my... Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs made their first draft pick last night. So we'll do a little projection here. Felix Anadike Uzoma uh, out of Kansas State uh, is an edge rusher. In this next year, plus or minus five sacks on the year. Oh, you changed it on me. You had six earlier. I started at six. It was yeah, too high, though. Uh, probably under five, only because he'll be a break. But All right. That's a prediction. We're going to hold you to it. Go Chiefs. It's recorded. We have that proof. So later proof, on, we can, we right can take there. a look. Yeah, gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Uh, speaking of conversations uh, that you guys need to have, it's any listening member of the audience who has lasted this long, which is it's a great podcast. They need to be able to reach out to have this conversation. What contact information should they use? You can find us on CenturaWealth.com or you can email Matt, Matt Griffith at CenturaWealth.com or our phone number, 858-771-9500. That's an... 9500. That's... M, first initial M Griffith at CenturaWealth.com. What did I say? You said Matt Griffith. Oh, it is M Griffith. M Griffith. Yep. Sounds good. Gentlemen, uh, now they have that contact information. I encourage every audience member to reach out uh, to also give their prediction of what's going on in this next NFL year. Should be some interesting emails coming in, guys. So again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the education. And our last thank you always goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the team comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.